right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here in the studio. My man, Neil Schuster, is here. It's been a little while, bud. It's been has. a while. I've been on a walkabout. <laughs> what have you been doing on a walkabout? I was taking a little vacation. It's out in California. Big Sur remains undefeated. A couple of friends' weddings. You know, it's July. You kind of got to get off the grid, the European style. Yeah, I love that. European style would not be working on a Sunday night. That's, Just that's true. To be very, very clear. We're uh, heading in that direction, but... I, that's that's tough to attain. We are uh, off, heading off tomorrow for two week tour sauce filming trip. We're going to be a little light on Olympic coverage in part, in main part because of that. Just getting out in front of this storyline. Uh, the rest of the guys are all packing up, getting ready to go. Tough, tough night for Big Randy in the mentions. Very tough. Could he, be the end of the strap, boys. He hasn't reached out to me before, just detonating. <laughs> Public he sent, golf. And, he sent a very curious tweet. It just doesn't really sound like him. It's very surprising to hear him say, I think I'm done with public golf for the time being. Five and a half hour round yesterday. Guys with their shirts untucked. I just can't fake like I enjoy this anymore. The game needs to be shrunk. Anyone in the Denver area with a membership, please hit me up and invite me out. <laughs> That's good work. The first part of this that should have been not believable was that Randy played golf yesterday. That's that's a good point. <laughs> Come on, people. He's in the pouch. All right. How is this not cr- incredibly obvious? I crafted this tweet. I spent hours thinking about it. It ruined most of my week. I had to watch Colin Jost and Michael Che, who write jokes for each other at the end of every SNL season, and they read them live on air. Watch that crying laughing as I tried to come up with something that I really thought people wouldn't fall for. And as of right now, we're at 410 replies and 100 quote retweets for Randy just and, burning and him. Honestly, shreds. might be his uh, like most, you know, viral, most, engaged most engagement of all time for the big guy. I mean, it's historic stuff we're talking about. Oh, they're still rolling in. Big guy, I'm, I'm sorry I had to do this to you. I can't believe that people thought this was a real tweet, but this is giving us a lot of laughs. There's a good amount of people in there that, that they call the, real one, the real ones know. Exactly. They knew it for what it was. But quick shout out. We're going to talk some Avion. We're going to talk some 3M Classic, uh, Bryson, Rom, Olympics. We're going to do some Ryder Cup. We're going to do some What's in the Bag. Big Big show tonight. At the very end, we are also going to have uh, an interview with Jose Maria Olafable. Got a chance to interview him actually a couple months ago. It wasn't a full-length interview, so we're tacking it onto the end of a Sunday night recap here. Um, he's got a new golf course opening up in Greece, and we talked about and did a talked about a number of things. Before we get too far, Jungun Lee six. Uh, she fired a 61 on Friday. She ended up uh, losing in a playoff at the Avion to Minji Lee, which we're going to talk about. Lee six using an epic speed driver, nine degrees. She also has an epic speed fairway wood, Apex Pro Hybrid, and Apex TCB irons. Callaway has been the number one driver brand at every LPGA major in 2021, and Epic has been the number one driver model at each of these majors as well. I uh, just want to give a shout out to them for their their constant support of uh, of the women in golf, and that's not always that's not a common common theme among some uh, major equipment companies in golf. So giving them a shout out for that. Also, another win for the Chrome Soft X and the Epic Speed this afternoon with uh, Nacho Elvira on the European Tour. 
Uh, Chrome Soft X, huge summer, continuing to win on tours around the world, along with major wins at the PGA Championship and US Open. Number one driver brand at the Avion. They also won the putter count at the Senior British Open and the, and the Avion. They've now won 34 consecutive major putting uh, putter counts across PGA, LPGA, and Champions Tours. So, And you know what? They can add a, a, a title coming soon, Tour Sauce. The, I will un- undoubtedly, the, the winner of Tour Sauce Season 7 will we'll, be using we'll Callaway. We'll be gaming some Callaway stuff. <laughs> What's the biggest golf news of the week in your mind? Kind of a weird week. We have an LPGA major, but we're also coming off a men's major and end of crazy men's major season. Uh, I got I think it's the Olympic stuff with with Bryson and Rom. Honestly, I mean, no offense to the 3M or or the Evian, uh, but we're going to debate Evian status as a as a major championship as well, and we'll get to that. But uh, a couple questions we got: Liam Spur eighty two, Bryson getting a positive Rona test. Is this a ruse so he has to avoid the testing at the Olympics? Uh, oh man, I'm kind of here for this. If, <laughs> if if it is, I mean that's chess, right? Like, I mean, good deflection where you're going to take some heat for not being vaccinated and but not taking as much heat for taking steroids. That is <laughs> that is sick. And not taking any heat for declining to play in yeah. the Olympics. Uh, uh, but I don't know that that I don't want to give Bryson too much credit. Bryson is incapable of playing chess. I think he is very much playing checkers. Uh, and I, I think it comes from like this whole PR story they've been trying to weave for many weeks has at least people like at least people's radar is up like from the get go. Like they've lost the plot when it comes to the public's. Uh, the benefit of the doubt when it comes to public thinking, like automatically people are like throwing out theories like crazy because, well, you know, you're going to get some bizarre PR spin out of this. And there's just can- so many things like I'm watching golf today. I think at least three rocket mortgage commercials with Bryson and Tim. It's like, man, there's just, we got to cycle some of these in and we, out guys. We got, <laughs> we got that going on, you know, the whole caddy thing, which that's died down, but it's still like, Oh my God, what a, you know, massive divorce that was. And then, yeah, just all of a sudden, Sunday morning, Bryson's, he's not going to the Olympics anymore, right? That's just, he just kind of follows him around. The drama's following him around. Let me put it that way. Which, you know, could obviously spark a huge, was he vaccinated? What are you thinking? How are you not vaccinated? And then honestly, like just threw me back and has me so freaking, I'm already, already there's so much confusion around this virus and how we're trying to get back to normal life that John Rahm tests positive again after being vaccinated and after having COVID uh, two months ago. I, the the question we got from the the cow once uh, of one. <laughs> I never on, read the handles on. before I get ready to read it. Cow, we got to work on that one. Rom two times positive COVID test after being vaccinated. Are the tests being done correctly? Truly, don't have an answer to this. Yeah, man, that's outside my. That's going to be outside my purview. Uh, I, I don't understand how. And, and this is a different scenario, right? If you are fully vaccinated outside of your two-week p- period on the PGA Tour, you're no longer subject to testing. So you can't test positive and you do not get eliminated from events. Olympics is different. And I, I truly don't fully understand why or how Rom is is positive yet again. He took, three te- uh, took four tests after the British Open and test positive in three of them. Like it wasn't like a a fluke of some kind. I, I really don't know how this is possible. Um, and so I don't know if that honestly made me, might've saved me a little bit from going off on Bryce and being an idiot and not being vaccinated because like, I sure. don't know the full story there. And clearly, you know, that this is possible and this is, this is where we're at. So well, and it's, it's, have you watched any Olympics at all? Some, oh yeah, I watched some three on three uh, basketball, which we could talk about deep, deep in the table tennis today. My guy Kumar from the U S got beat by the, the Swede who, just all class from the Swede today 
on the uh, on the table tennis circuit, but they like I was watching beach volleyball as well. They're not shaking hands after mm. the match, but then we're playing ping pong. I, it, I and I feel it sucks because they're trying their best to put these Olympics on without this becoming a massive world health crisis. I get it, but it's just. Um, you know, it's kind of like one, you, you know, you, you're trying over here, but then you're, you're over here and you're like, ah, well, that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? We're touching the, the ping pong balls. And so I don't know how often they're getting tested. I, did Rom get tested before, like before he left? And yeah. 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 So I think at least part of this it's worth noting is that Japan as a country is, I believe, uh, according to this top, um, top Google search, they are 23.3% vaccinated as a country. Yeah. Which the U.S. is forty nine point six, and at least fifty seven percent of, of uh, one hundred eighty seven million people have at least one shot. Right, so it's a different vaccination situation over there, which is, I think, a big reason for no fans and big reason for this very stringent testing. Which I get, yeah, I support that. You got to do what you, yeah. what you have to do to keep your country safe. If that's how you want to put these games on, yeah. I understand that. So I think that's just worth discussing when it comes to these positive tests. I think it's it's coming at a time period, at least within this country, where people are. Very, uh, very, very fed up with with the debates around all this stuff and the energy harnessed and and it, it, people are just kind of very beaten down by this. And so let me let's let's bring it back around to the Olympics. Set. Who do you think is going to win the Olympics? I think Justin Thomas is going to win the Olympics. Really? That's going to be my That's pick. Your pick. Yeah. It just feels like I don't know. It feels I don't know. I really don't know why it just like came to me in a vision that JT is going to win the Olympics. I, I kind of am. I'm kind of hoping to see Patrick Reed up there. With the that would be medal. amazing. I think that'd be pretty epic. That would be amazing. Yeah, of course it's. Of course they're swapping out Bryson for Reed. Which like, is this which is, is the, really sick. It me. is. It's the, the the we are living in a simulation. I don't know how this is possible, uh, but yeah, Reed is. But at least Reed wants to be there. Like well, I we like, know you that. Know, yeah. Right. So like that's that's good. Somebody is going on behalf of the U.S. that is excited to be there. Which there's a several other players that you know. And, and from other countries that are not excited to be there. So yes. good for Rory Patrick is, Reed. I don't say that often. Yeah, Rory seems to be very, very much mailing it in. And for sure. it looks like he's being held hostage by Omega on this thing. Like very clearly, this is why he's doing this. It's an Omega thing. And uh, gosh, it just it just. But sucks. I am a huge, I love the Olympics shamelessly. Maybe not even shamelessly, but everyone's like, oh, I'm not up for it this year. I, you know, you got USA. NBC, like they got it on all the channels and you can flip back and forth, watch badminton today. The guy from Japan's a total menace. Like I love all these just niche sports, watch water polo. There's it's nothing like getting invested in a sport you didn't know yes. was on TV, but then you flip it on by like an hour later, you are like, we watched volleyball yesterday. It was awesome. Yeah. The like US I, don't, versus France. I don't, you could take the, you know, I don't need to watch the basketball. Like basketball's yeah. fun, but it's not about that and the swimming for me. I like all the, the niche sports. Start watching Taekwondo or the, the weightlifting. Like, you know, is this woman going to throw like, you know, 150 kilograms over her head right now? And then it's like the pinnacle of yeah. her life. It's epic. Which is why as hardcore golf fans, it's super hard to get excited about a four round stroke play 72 hole tournament that is not any different other than like they're playing it in a con the country that's also hosting all these other events. It's not different from a competition wise that, uh, you know, that you're playing for your country and all that, but like it's not a team event and I I I I didn't watch much of Rio, and it, just the way the schedule has worked out this year, we're not going to be able to watch much. I wish I cared more about it. Maybe I will if I sat down and watched it. I would care a lot more about it. But um, what's well, just hard for for us? We watch golf every week, so yeah. it's not something that feels 
as I don't know, it's not as interesting. It's not as important. That's not what the Olympics represent to me. Right. It represents like a reason for me to watch all these other, other activities sports. and sports that I've never seen at a high level. Yeah. I watched the the replay. There was a viral video going around of the Tunisian swimmer's family watching him win gold and like they're having a watch party and he wins gold. And like I just started crying, like Hell watching yeah. it. I was like, all right, that's the Olympics. Like watching a millionaire athlete, you know, win win a win a, a medal, like doesn't I don't know. It doesn't also really this encapsulate the Olympics it. and uh uh the World Cup, but probably more the Olympics, it always puts my it puts like life in perspective too. You're like, man, it's not twenty sixteen. It put it makes you think about the last time you watched the Olympics. Yeah. Like God, I was in San Francisco. Yep. Like I was. I mean, that's five years ago. You know, you, and then like all these memories of that two weeks in 2016 starts to flood back, and so that's just an interesting like uh, four year like experience that I always have. Yeah, that should be interesting in Paris. You know, the next next go around where like they're coming off the Open Championship in the same kind of time period, and it shouldn't be a huge travel burden. And hopefully, not in a pandemic at that time. What the excitement level around golf but might be? I know for we that. talked about this before. What could what could they do with golf in the Olympics? Like, could it if it was a two man game? But then you got the Ryder Cup and the Presidents Cup already, so there's already a, a team competition that's you know more important, I guess you could say. I think a double elimination bracket of some kind so, would be so super something match play. Oh yeah, yeah, match play for sure. Like put a country against a country. Yeah, top two players from each one or something. I, I think that would be very engaging as well, especially because there's not enough match play to begin with. And that's like, but that's the opposite of like what how uh, this is going to somewhat out of my ass, but this is what I've, I've it's been <laughs> like it, it explained to me that like what how Olympic qualification and like introduction of a sport happens is like. They would go to golf, whatever that means, and say, hey, how at the highest level, what are your competitions? And they would say, we do four rounds of stroke play. It's like, boom, that's our competition. That's then. what we have to yeah. do because that's how you identify the best golfer. We're not going to do a gimmick round, sure. you know, which maybe in the future there might be more so what do they say basketball. To the, what do they say to the three-on-three -three <laughs> federation of basketball? How do you know? I watched some of that, dude. It was so bad. It was amazing. It made me laugh so hard and... I, I don't I don't know how they make these teams. I didn't know it was a sport in the Olympics until this this week. I didn't either. It was so entertaining. I mean, just dudes throwing up bricks, taking horrible shots. Is a US the rules team in? are weird. There is a US team. I haven't watched them yet, but and is it pulled from like the No, there's no NBA USA. players. Okay, so it's not USA basketball. Related. I do not know who is even on the US team. I have to who is uh we can we'll have to look that up. But uh <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's tough. I do get excited for the Olympics. I feel like I I uh I, I try to tell myself I'm not excited, and then as soon as the opening ceremonies kick off and like the events are on, I'm like, all right, what's the medal count at? Like, where are we at? It's it just don't quite feel the same way about golf. But let's do uh, Avion next. Okay. Good. Did you get to watch much of the Avion this week? I did not. Yeah. No, I, I I caught a little bit of it when they changed over like the rerun, honestly, from uh, Golf Channel to CBS today. It looked like an exciting playoff. Uh, one hole. It got good at the very end. I didn't get to watch a ton this week. It did not line up very good with my uh, ability to be in front of a television. But Minji Lee shoots a final round 64 and absolutely stuffs the pin. To get into a playoff, Jung and Lee 6 had a five-shot lead going into the final round. Yulimi No had her caught by the eighth hole, uh, which in part, in part from what Yulimi No did, in part from Lee 6 really falling back to the field. Lee 6 rallied on the back nine, clutch birdie on 17. Uh, and 18 to get into a playoff. 
And uh, into the playoff, Minji Lee hits just an awesome, awesome second shot into this par five over water um, and hits it to maybe eight feet or something for Eagle and then puts the pressure on Lee Six and Lee Six hits one in the water. Um, Hit a really, really skanky shot uh, that we're not used to seeing pros hit. But that was some good drama. Just some serious, serious action of huge players. You leave me know, 19 years old, almost wins a major. Just came up, missed some putts on 15, 16, and 18 that really could have, would have make one of those and she's in the playoff. And then Minji Lee, whose brother wins the Scottish Open earlier this month, now comes out and wins her first major. Uh, it was great stuff. It was the ninth consecutive first time winner in a, in a women's major. The, the less viral tweet from Big Randy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Dig through that timeline, people. <laughs> Big Randy's got some good stuff on there. <laughs> Gosh, I wonder how many followers. Somebody, he lost, uh, somebody re- replied to that and said, "How does what, what does this do for for Nelly's uh, over under? Uh, I think what did I say? Eleven. Eleven majors for Nelly. Yeah. Oh, listen, it's not good. All right, we're it, the, the the clock's ticking on that, but uh, we'll see. What know? is She's working young. in your favor? She's very young is that there's five majors a year, which That's I think true. kind of brings us to our next topic. Is like is the Aviana major, and I admittedly don't know a lot about the history and it really took until Stacy Lewis just kind of put a bullet in on the podcast uh, about a month ago, just saying like, yeah, you can't just like throw money into an event and have it called a major. And if players are going to skip it, and I know there's a lot of reasons why in a pandemic and the travel rules have been very different and sound like it was not an easy situation uh, for anyone playing in it, et cetera. But uh, it has not been a major for a very long period of time, and it just feels like a half of a major at best. Like, so it's a you know kind of elevated status event, pretty them, much, right? Well, or it's the players. It's it's like <laughs> yeah. wait wait you can't throw money at something <laughs> and call it the gold standard. You can't do that. It, be, I, I I think they the you know down on PGA Tour HQ they'd like to have a word with you. It, <laughs> Probably about some other stuff too, but let's I think take that on the players' note, though, like it is a world class and very challenging, very interesting, very difficult golf course that you know identifies sure. a a champion and it tests a lot of different skills and a lot it rewards a lot of different playing styles, and that's not really the the case I think with Avion. Like, there's been questions in the past about this golf course not being good enough condition even for a major, which did not seem to be much of an issue this go around, but. It, when I watch it, it looks exactly like a normal LPGA event. And, and part of the reason I honestly have a little bit of trouble getting up for the ANA inspiration is like it's not a, a representative championship, right? We have the U.S. Women's Open, the USGA, the National Championship. Like That is super easy for me to get up for. The Women's British now run by the RNA, and they've, that, that event's had a big time, you know, return to glory, if you will. Like, that gets me pumped up. Like, in the home of golf, some of the great golf courses they go to there, they're going to Carnoustie here in a couple of weeks. That gets me excited. Women's PGA Championship, it's the pretty it's it's parallel there is the PGA Championship, right? It's a the PGA of America's major championship. That's easy to get hyped for. Uh ANA is like their version of the Masters, which I'd give them because of the history of them putting up the money and putting women's it's golf str- on the map. Yeah. I would give them It is. It, it's it not is. A, obviously not Augusta, but it's right. still like there's some tradition there, which Correct. I appreciate. And it's also what it's the first one of the year. It is. So that helps too. Because it's, it's like, hey, this is the kickoff for us. That leaves the Avion to be like, what are we what are we after here? Like, sure. And I'm like a huge fan of a four and a half million dollar prize fund for the women. And like if that's what it, you know if that's what it takes to get you know it, to get the that big of a prize pool it had to be called a major, you know? I'm in on that. If that's the case, I just, I personally have so a hard time getting they, amped for why it. Why are they married to that course? 
Like, I think it's it's a resort golf club, and that's like what's their whole point of put putting the event on is to you know attract resort play for it. I w- I would have to assume should get HSBC on the phone and you know seems like you know kind of one of those late season cash grabs a little bit <laughs> for the but but the women's version of it. Yeah, uh, it's it's no offense to Evian, great no water. To anyone. Okay, that's uh, I'll drink I'll drink their water. That's good stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. The the where it falls on the calendar and the lack of tradition, it's tough to. Slap a major and right. and the lack of a, a golf course. Even the you know right. women themselves are like, I don't think this is a great spot. Right. Like I don't really want to go. If your top players are skipping it, if a, lot, a decent amount of top players are skipping it, it's like fair to call it in, that part into question. But uh, I w- I would like to give a oh, shout out to oh, good uh, Leona McGuire. Yes, who I think you picked this week. I did uh, not. Randy did. She didn't win her last week. He picked her to win, but we got to see her at KPMG at the PGA and. Uh, 61 today mm. on, on Sunday. Balled out. I think she came in fifth or fifth or sixth. Definitely top 10. So feels like she's she's trending. Uh, so the boys were early there. And and I think, uh, you know, sorry, Randy, he's back in the pouch this week. But, you know, maybe his picks are trending as well. Somewhere, Randy and I shot some content with her back at the KPMG in like 2018. I don't think it ever made it to air. But so we've been early, early on Leona McGuire. Shout out to KPMG, who was very early on her too, sponsoring her. Yeah, like, I think right when she just came out of school as an amateur. So come on, man. She looks why, to be the why, real deal. Why you gotta talk about the sponsor? You're always talking about people's sponsors. <laughs> Shout out to the sponsors. That's, First of all, no, I that's what you sponsors. Been, last time I was on, you're criticizing me for calling out like Megacorp. And <laughs> well, Megacorp is not a sponsor of ours. KPMG is. Come on, sort of, sort of, sort of. We've so, worked with them in the past. We do work with KPMG, correct? So yeah, that's pre- speaking of sponsors. Why don't we do this? No, you're, you're giving. Uh, hold on a second. You're giving your old employer a shout out there. No, that would not, not be a why. Sponsor of ours. I am retired from KPMG Life. You got stock. No, 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 no. Speaking of sponsors, DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but it's America's <laughs> top-rated sportsbook. I'm getting even better That's at, at these solid. ties. That's pretty good. Speaking of America, the top athletes, as we've just mentioned, are over in Tokyo competing for the gold. DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for our listeners. So listen to this. Place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. I like our chances in that one. You heard it right. You heard it right. That's 100 to 1 odds on an American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. 100 to 1 odds on on an offer like this does not come around often, so sign up for the DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on the action. I love using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Easy to navigate. It's got instructions for new bettors and limitless ways to get in on the action. I promise you guys will love using it as well. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code NLU when you sign up. Turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a medal. That's code NLU to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. For a limited time, only the DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only restrictions supply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Oh, I thought you stumbled on New Jersey. I did a little bit there. I was worried about you at the end. I did a little bit Nice work. Thank you. Thank you. Chess Fest, week two. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't end the way I wanted. I felt like I was... You know, chugging water by the porta potties in the mud. You know, he kind of faded on the on the back nine on the encore there at the end. I picked him T ten this week, and I think he tied for twelfth. Seems T eleven. T eleven. That's brutal. <laughs> That's tough. That's tough. He he just couldn't. He had a putt on seventeen. I love how we're leading with Ches and not Cam Champ. <laughs> but it's that kind of tournament. Sometimes you got to come up with the agenda. You, you come up with the agenda before the final the is, finale. Uh, no offense at three M. You know, I love the the hooks and the adhesives. They're they're you know. They, a lot of 3M stuff in the kill house, but tough, 
you know, it's not, it wasn't an exciting week on the PGA Tour. So you got to create your own excitement. Chess Fest, week two, we didn't even see it coming. You know, it was like a, it's like one of those concerts. Pop up concert. Like after Jazz Fest, they all go and play at the bars, right? Until like 3 a.m. That's what, that's what this was. So that was, that was bonus Chess Fest for everybody. There is no more jarring twist than like going from Open Championship, watching a British Open course to TPC Twin Cities. It's, Really freaking tough. I mean, land at ten thousand lakes. That's sums up that course, man. Like water on like what sixteen of eighteen holes. It's just, and they show that a lot of aerials. Yeah, and it's just that's a not massive, helping. massive lakes everywhere. Yeah. The so, aerials are not helping. Sometimes the aerials bring a course to life, and this it does not the case. With TPC it, it looks like a lot of the same hole. Uh, you know, dogleg left water all the way up the left, dogleg right water all the way up the right. It just it feels. Um, very carbon copy. It is very much asking one question: Can you hit it high and stop it? Yes. Like, can you can you cover this lake and hold it hold the green? Can you cover this lake and hold the green? Can you cover this lake and hold the green? It turns out Cameron Champ can cover this lake and hold the green. At Mike McGee fifty one is Cam Champ the poster child for Matt McNeely's take advantage when you get the opportunity strategy. Uh, that win today that's three wins and only seven career top tens. Wow, that's a that's a great call, Mike McGee. Uh, fifty-one. That's uh, I think that's. I'm so glad. I'm so yeah, glad. Throw Randy's him on the poster. Here. So glad Randy's not here tonight to do the the victory lap on how many more wins he has than uh, Tony Finau and how many wins. <laughs> Kyle Porter tweeted it today. He's got more wins than uh, Louis Oosthuizen and Tony Finau combined. I still that's get. Jarring. I knew this, and I still every time they say it, Oosthuizen's never won in the U.S. Correct. Right. Like I know that, and every time I hear it, it blows me away. It's like melting my face like Chess Fest whenever I hear that. Cam so. Champ is so hard to figure out. I, it's so confusing. He does almost nothing. He does nothing above average on the tour than drive it. He drives it really far. Turns out he putts it well every once in a while. If, like This is his fourth positive strokes game putting week of the season. He's 209th or something on tour coming into this week. But he was first this week. But first this week. So maybe he's working with somebody new. Maybe it's a honeymoon phase, a, a Morikawa situation. That would be, if that is the case, that'd have been great. And I, I will say this information. I, I saw several putts. I think it was fifteen or sixteen. He made uh, out of the bunker, so that was sixteen. The drivable four. He, he was striking putts, yeah. and he had the line rolling end over end. I felt like every time they showed him putting, it was like, damn, that was a really confident roll right there. So, yeah. you know, maybe he, it won't last, but credit to him because he was definitely feeling it. And maybe uh, th this is, you know, we have a podcast coming out on Tuesday with Mark Brody where we talk about a couple topics here that I'll introduce here about uh, volatility and variability in some of these stats, right? If you basically, if you hit your averages every week, you're, no one will ever win. Like, because the person who wins has some volatility. They have a career week putting, and they have a great week driving, whatever it might be. That's one thing. Second thing being just like, Golf shots on the PGA Tour are is something that, you know, Matt McNeely said as well. Like, they're not linear. And not Every shot is not created equal. Sure. And when you're in contention, the ability to hit positive shot, positive shot, positive shot is more valuable than when you're T65. And Cam Champ has now done this three times of when he's gotten close. He's closed it out. He's done it. He's done whatever he's needed to do to win the tournament. Did it look a little shaky coming down the stretch today? Yes, but he shot a bogey-free 66 today at the same time. Yeah, how about that up-down on 18, after that, God, that drive on 18 was... What the hell was that terrible. strategy? I mean, he was not hitting driver at all in the back nine. He had 172 ball speed with his two iron, which is 
tour average ball speed is like 169, 170 with driver. And he's hitting that with two iron. That's the advantage this guy has of not even needing to hit driver and still being able to blow it past people. He was hitting that thing. Not great. He had a couple squirrely kind of shots with it, but sounds like, like he had missed it. He had missed that club right though. Yeah. Earlier on the back nine a couple times. So maybe that factored into it, but to just wail like the swing he made on that driver was like, I mean, that was like all out. He hit 195 ball speed. Like a yeah. that's a that's a basically Bryson. I think when he tried to drive it over the water, when he did drive it over the water on number six at Bay Hill, I think he hit like 194. Sure. So Cam hit faster than that on that ball that he just needed to hit a fairway finder with, and it's kind of like if you're gonna, there's no point in hitting that shot and bailing that far left. I mean, he almost would have been better off just driving it into the water, taking a drop, and then punt. Like he ended up. You ended up being kind of no sweat, and he made par, but that shot he had out of the thick stuff that he had to hit under trees, but get it out of thick stuff, so you need a lofted club and miss a centerline tree that was right in that punch-out line, and it barely missed it. He was very fortunate that somehow did not hit that tree. But the, I thought that he and his caddy had some pretty good process there. But except did they the, know the situation? I, I They had to have once they were in that thick rough on the second shot, 100%. I hope so. Because then he chips it out, and then the caddy's like, we're hitting gap wedge. Like he hit it like, you know, a yeah. hundred yard, like punchy. His third shot was right his, to the comfiest number he's got, which right. was like 129. And then he hit a great wedge in. So it was a lot more dramatic than it had to be for sure. I wonder about the, on the T, you know, and I think uh, Navalo said that too. Like they have to know where they're at. Right. Like, but if they did, how, why would they make that decision? Other than maybe he felt like he's going to, you know, blow it right with that driving iron that he'd been using all day. I think there's something to not knowing when you're not in the last group, there's a benefit to not knowing where you stand, right? Like you just need to like keep making good numbers because anything could happen behind you. You can't make decisions assuming that somebody's going to birdie in, assuming somebody's going to par in, but you know, but when you're the last group on the golf course, it pays to know exactly what you need, especially if you're going to win the tournament. And they may have known, but they played that hole like they didn't know. And that is, I think, it, it was not like a, a second guess. I was, you know, kind of packing up, getting ready to come down here to record the pod. Yeah. And I looked up and he had driver in his hand. I was like, oh, he could drive that in the water or like left is really bad if I remember right. It caught my attention. And sure enough, like it made things at least a little bit interesting. But not by far the not the biggest takeaway I think of the week. It's that Cam Champ has now won three times on the PGA Tour, and it's really hard to make sense of. But man, when he has gotten himself into contention, he has gotten it done. And for as much as we talk about a lot of guys that don't do it on cue, Big Randy has tweeted: Cam Champ has more PGA Tour wins than Tony Finau and <laughs> Louis Oosthuizen Lu- Lu- combined. I will I will say this or point out what I mean, was he dehydrated? That's or, what it seemed like. You know he's getting. I was getting kind of like some Jason Day vibes watching a Nike guy stumbling around. <laughs> I was like, what's going on here? Like, that's that's not Jason Day. I hope, but I do know how it feels to be, like, heat stroke sucks. So, like, if that's what it was, but then I didn't see anybody as cat. He's not like, yo, here, drink this with, like, right. dumping salts and electrolytes in a water bottle. So I was like, why aren't we drinking fluids if that's the issue? So I don't know. I wonder if he had a migraine. It just looked like he was feeling horrible the last five or six holes. It was a little flu game-ish there at the end and seemed like he had recovered okay. But it is, uh, that's an under, I mean, everyone's got to do it, but an underrated thing of like being in the heat of the moment in the literal sun and wearing pants like sucks ass. Like there's a black reason. Black pants? Yes. Dark Which might shirt. be his own call. Yeah, black hat. Like it wasn't the best, uh, you know, 
late summer outfit, probably. And there didn't look like there was shady spots to wait it out on the tee and whatnot. And it's, yeah, it's stressful trying to close one of these things out. And it, I, I get through this a lot when I'm even slightly dehydrated in the Florida heat. When I bend down to read a putt and stand up, like things like spin a little bit. And I'm like me like, oh shit, I need to hydrate a little bit. But at that point, it's almost too late. And when you're under pressure, it's got to be pretty, pretty easy to like forget to drink water. Sure. So much going on. Like it, you know, and maybe that's on the caddy more to like, here, drink this, like drink it. But it, it, it probably like Azer loves to do the, you know, I used to eat my cornflakes one, one piece at a time when I was under pressure. Like there might not feel like there's much room for water when you're really feeling the, the, the pressure and the nerves. And so that, that, that wouldn't surprise me if there was something, I, I don't have any quotes in front of me yet um, that haven't been published yet since we started, but that, that wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some kind of reaction like that. All right, so the Naked Rancher, I did read this handle, uh, said, if the tour had to cut three tournaments for any reason, what are your top three to make the list? Oof. This one's got to be up there, unfortunately. And I love Minnesota golf. No one loves Minnesota golf more than me, of course. But this this one, it again, it's pro- anyone that has to have this tournament right after the British Open is really, really in a tough spot. But this, this is one just kind of exhausts me a little bit. This one's... That golf course is not fun to watch. I get a little stuck with like all the like Texas open Brian Nelson, you know, I like colonial. I, I feel like there's a lot going on in Texas. Uh, there's, there's the Houston open. Like I, I kind of wish we'd chop one in Texas. Texas got a lot of golf. Like take your pick seven. there yeah. because there's other parts of the country. I'd like same thing with Florida Honda, get it out. Like, let's just get rid of it. <laughs> right. That's I'm cool. And I, you would think go to the silly season stuff, you know, the reach around stuff in the, in the fall, but some of those are even more fun because they, they feel like they give guys a shot. You know, the vibe seems like it's good out at Safeway. The one in Vegas is, is usually somewhat fun. So I think there's too much Florida and Texas stuff on the calendar where you could probably spread it out a little bit more. I think, yeah, this is this is top nominee. I think I, I like that the tour is going back to Detroit and, and the Rocket Mortgage, but if that's probably one that's probably on the chopping block for me as well. Um, again, if you have to take, some, take well, something out. Well, let me ask you this. Is it... Is that be- is this tournament and that one because of where it is on the calendar? Probably just because it's dog days of summer. Probably, and, yeah. Right. So maybe if those are because I feel like like Honda's in like the best spot, not the best spot. It's it's sandwiched between big tournaments, so for them yeah. it's not the best, but it's a high high viewership time period. And right. I'm like, yo, I don't want to watch this right. tournament. It has for whatever reason just really doesn't pop on TV. I'm with you. It's hard for me to pick that one though, just knowing it's like legit the longest sponsored event on the PGA tour, you know, the most historic, not the, maybe not the most historic, but the longest one time continuous sponsor on the PGA okay, tour. Shout out to the sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Corporate Sally over here, but, um, well then, okay. So it's hard to chop tournaments. Is, I, 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 I don't need more pro golf. And I'm also like, ah, gosh, it's hard to chop. But it. Texas too is like, you know, it was cool. that Spieth won this year at Valero. Um, but that one's bounced around a little bit. I mean, there's got to be a warm up for the Masters, though. So it's yeah. it's like that's probably a good one to have. How about the desert? How about the Amex? Uh, Amex right? is like up that there one's kind of in the middle of nowhere a little bit for me. Used to have celebrity vibes. Doesn't really have it anymore. Golf courses are very meh. Um, you know, almost I'm, like I'm when the Bob there. Hope name went away. Yeah, that gave it an identity, and now it's like, yeah, the Amex Desert Classic is it's it's stuck between identities a little bit for me. Let's move on before we piss off any other regions uh, of, the, of this country. <laughs> no, I think we're safe on Palm Springs. And I would say that Texas, I like a yeah. lot of the tournaments in Texas. It's just you have too many. So there's yeah. no reason to get pissed at us. 
It'll, that and Florida, same thing. There's plenty of golf in Florida on the calendar. It also sucks that two of the Texas events are in uh, May, which is like one of their worst weather yeah. months for golf. If there was a, I know it's not possible for a Texas fall swing because of how big football is down there, but it, October, like Texas swing would make way too much sense, I think. Yeah. Keith Mitchell had seven straight birdies opening his round Saturday. He finished T3. Shout out to him. And a T6 for Mito Pereira, fresh off his battlefield exemption. Uh, immediately won three times on the Corn Ferry Tour this past, this current season. Battlefield automatic promotion. Struggling to get in events a little bit uh, just because just that exemption category is pretty far down the list. Uh, but a T6 and a, and a nice nice big payday for him. I, I Mito Pereira, candidly, never heard his name. There are a couple other guys. I never seen Roger Sloan play golf. I've never seen, like, I've I heard Bo Hogue's name, but I've never really watched him play. And, you know, it's cool sometimes, like, oh, God, some new faces. For someone that watches a lot of golf, more than the average viewer, it's like, wow, this is a week for those guys to make some big money. So it's good a, for them. It's a good time for kind of make your own reality and, like, kind of forcing yourself to be interested in who's going to be in that top 125, who's going to be in the top 200 to make the Corn Ferry Finals. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a little stressful. Uh, I, I mentioned last week, I'm rooting for David Lingworth to get inside that top 200 and make the Corn Ferry Finals. Where, he's, he's at 201 right now. Where did he finish? <laughs> he finished T28 this week. He shot one over today to likely, I mean, he'll have a couple, at least one more start, I think, but like he needs to get inside that top 200 to get in the Corn Ferry Finals. And yeah, there's, there's some livelihoods at stake here. Is Ricky Fowler, Ricky's now at 125 in the projected rankings. It, I just trying to do the math on it, man. And like, I know you're not exemption category expert guy, but I think he was going to have to use his top 50 career earnings exemption if he didn't finish top 125 this year, and he's still not in for good. But uh, it'd be interesting to see if he goes and plays the Barracuda to you know try to get he's, some more points. But, he's in the top 50 career earnings wise. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. All those guys are. Yeah. Which is inch, with what he's won four. He's won five times. Five yeah. times. Okay. Still, that's impressed. That's. I find that impressive for a guy that hasn't won. There's a lot of other guys that have won a lot more than him. You know, I would think he would be farther down the list. Let's do career earnings guess for Ricky Fowler. I'm going to say he's in the 40s. I would say I was like, going to guess. Like high, I think he's right under the 50 if he is. I was going to guess 42. I just saw it. He was 39.956. So okay. he's going to cross over 40 very quickly. May very well be uh, top 40 overnight or into 40 million overnight. 24th all time. 24th. And yeah. That's just on the course. Just on course. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. That's, I mean, you know, a little bit, you could say it's impressive or it's not. It's a little bit of, it's impressive, lot, but to be in, yeah, to make a career on the PGA tour and, and not win a ton and make that kind of money is really impressive. We can look at the all-time money list and kind of laugh at guys that we wouldn't expect to have earned that much money, but they don't give it out. That you got to earn it. Like yeah. you go beat other people at golf and they pay you for it. Even if it doesn't come to like top of mind as in like Brant Snedeker's made $40 million on the PGA That's Tour. That's what I was going to ask. Who is in front of Ricky and right behind him? Luke Donald's right behind him. Wow. At $36.7 million. Yeah. The number one player in the world <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, he was like number one in the world for over a year, I think, or, or close to that. And um, then who's right? Brent Seneca's right in front of him Snedeker. at forty million, and then Charles Howell's right above him. So <laughs> Howell's been Howell. falling down the list. Yeah, he needs to. I mean, that's a pretty good chunk of change for you know just playing good on the West Coast this whole career. That's pretty, pretty, like, pretty chill right there. Rory Sabatini thirty five million in his Sheesh. career. Like <laughs> it's just 
it's insane. But like they, again, like I said, they pay a lot of money for fourth place, and you can make a lot of those, and and you earn a lot of money. So one okay. question, just humor me. Where's Chez? Where's Chez on the all time all time money, money list? A guy oh, that's won goodness. three times on tour. 110th at $17.1 million. Got a boy. Look at him punching above his weight. Just, God, I love Chez. Just above Rocco, uh, just above JJ Henry and just behind Brendan Steele. Oh my God. Brendan Steele. That's, I mean, that's good company right there, though. I think he's right where he should be. The P- I, I should have the PJ Tour all time money list as my homepage. It's the greatest page. It's, I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah. It just makes your imagination run wild. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess that guy has balled out for. 20 years it would be a great sporkle quiz i think to try to like fill i'm wondering if there maybe there is one i have to go find it if there is one but next up let's talk a little Ryder cup uh we were we i guess i kind of wanted to after the british open last week but we went like two hours just trying to make sense of all of that and we it needed it needed a little bit of time to digest everything this segment is of course brought to you by our friends at bmw who are global partners of the Ryder cup uh partners of ours as well they support a lot of great content around the Ryder cup including just telling us to talk about it, which is great. But update, look at the standings on the U.S. side. We have Morikawa, DJ, Bryson, Kepka, JT, and Xander uh, in those top six spots with Spieth pretty close there at number seven. And then in the group following that, we have Reed, English, Cantlay, Berger, Finau, Webb, Scheffler, Kokrak, Horschel, Phil, and Max. Well, oh, congrats to Colin for taking over the top spot. Yes. That's awesome. And that makes me feel a lot better not seeing DJ on that list like I have the previous six months and he being in a, a deep hibernation. Yeah. DJ is, uh, is been an, int- I guess, I, I guess I want to kick the segment off just saying like, I, I have concerns. I have serious concerns about this team that, uh, I think for a while there kind of felt pretty hard to screw up. And I just, I don't know what it is. I have a bad feeling recently. I, I, I can't really put my finger on it quite. DJ's regression, I think speaks a lot to it and knowing he's, I don't think he can fall off the points list. Like he's going to be on the team barring injury. And for a while there, I was very concerned that he was not healthy and I still don't know how healthy, healthy he is. His decrease in play, not been great. Bryson's low key, not been good in 2021. And we have a, you know, we have this point system that rewards him strongly for his U S open win last fall. I think the setup's going to be great for Bryson. I think he still would make a lot of sense to be on this team, uh, as a four ball player only, I would think. Um, but the whole chemistry thing, like, I think it can be overrated, but I really struggle, like thinking back to I, I maybe I put way too much weight in the interview we did with Paul McGinley last year, talking about like what he did to lead and group his players, and like thinking about how our captains are talking about how Phil is a lock for the team after winning the PGA. Like I'm just concerned. I don't have confidence right now in their ability to objectively look at this situation and come up with like what is the best option for winning versus what they think would be a safe and popular. Sure. way of pairing up their players. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I look at this list and two, three, and four, like DJ, Bryson, and Kepka. if you could, I would. What I, do you do with those guys? No, Who's everybody rallying around? Because it's like Brooks and DJ, do they get along? Bryson and Brooks don't, right? And DJ's aloof. It, that's it. And they're kind of the three, I don't want to say biggest personalities, but most, almost feeling like most magnetic humans, like males on the team, right? Like where, you know, like I don't think Spieth's like oozing macho, right? Like he might be the most experienced or whatever, and Morikawa might be the best, but I don't think that he's going to be barking out orders to guys. Right. So, and then you say like DJ and, and – and I can't say Brooks hasn't played well. Brooks has played really well. So like I, I'm not really worried about his game as much as like what you were saying about DJ and Bryson. 
But if you could honestly take those three guys off the team, and then I look at the back of this list, Scheffler, Kokrak, and Horschel, I kind of think those guys would be sweet. Scheffler played awesome in match play. Kokrak's proven that he's, you know, <laughs> he struts around he's in, a, in. in a big way. And then Horschel's just a psycho, right, which would be awesome and I think super competitive and and kind of like all in on just let's go win this thing. But you can't do that, right? Because that's not how they pick the team. But well, I that think, gets me more excited than those, you know, two, three, and four there on that list. And there might be room for all of those guys, right? I think Scheffler is, I don't want to, like, Scheffler should be on the team, right? He's been a extremely good golfer over the past, like he is, over the past three months, he's been a top 10 player in the world, uh, worldwide. And Horschel just, Horschel's game just, like, his, his like strokes gained, you can roll your eyes at that if you want, but like his uh, his golf ability doesn't rank up there. Do I think he is also capable of like catching total fire for a week and being just a complete maniac on the course and being very successful in match play? Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think it would still need to coincide with some really strong golf leading up to it. Yeah. Because he had a, a good run at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And it's he's faded a little bit. Since match play, pretty much. Yeah. Last three months for Horschel, he's been 0.44 strokes gained, which is like Andy Sullivan, Brendan Todd, Danny Willett, basically. And like low key, Zal Torres looked like a lock of all locks there for a you know, pretty good period of time there in the beginning of the year. His last three months, 0.48 strokes gained. Like that's nothing. That's right there with like the, those guys we just mentioned. Adam Shank is 0.44. Like that's, that's yeah. kind of where Zal Torres has been. And it's his putting that's absolutely been killing him. And, uh, you know, it, that, that stat can be very volatile on a week-to-week basis, and he might putt very well, but gosh, from, I know from the yip that we saw at the, at the British Open especially, like, he, that's not a real strong vibe being pushed out right now. I don't know. It's just like so, the momentum. Just I know we have Morikawa that just came out and did whatever he did at the Open, and it was insanely impressive, and he's been, like, the second-best player in golf the last three months, uh, which is a, a reason to be excited. Spieth gives you reason to be excited and all that, but, like, other than that, man, it just like seems like the other top people up there have like some baggage to them. They do, they do big time. And so you think Scheffler should one hundred percent be on the team over if I'm English, making the team Cantlay, right now? Berger, Finau, yeah. Webb. Uh, Scheffler is a supreme, supreme talent. Well, I agree with you, but yeah. I, I'm surprised to hear you say that because there's some like I mean, the, I would feel like the numbers would tell you that like Cantlay, Cantlay should be on the team too. Should be on the team, right? I, I definitely think so. And I think honestly, Finau is opening up a spot. Like Finau looked like he was documented I this hate as of this winter. You say that, Sally. I, I'm objective <laughs> about this stuff. Like he was so good this winter, but has not you know held up his end of the deal into this into the summer. He's not played very good golf. Uh, his putter is ice cold and his ball striking has suffered greatly. I mean, he's, he's around like, uh, a one, um, just under one stroke gain right now around guys like Higo, Bezadenhout, Migliosi, Matt Wallace, Taylor Gooch, Mito Pereira, like not guys that are jumping off the page as locks of, you know, for being on, on some of these teams. And what do you do with like, cause Harris English, like he's kind of, he's on my squad. I think he's fit game fits well. In Wisconsin, I, I think. think as of right now, he would be on my team. Yeah, I think like he's English, like of those last, you know, four spots: English, Cantlay, Scheffler, Kokrak. Like that, I would that. Let's roll. Let's go. I think because I think that's enough. Uh, enough can, firepower at the end of the lineup where DJ Bryson and Kepka can go distract themselves and yeah. you know have, be petty, and and we probably we'd be fine. And I, I get really stuck between like. Are we giving guys specific roles on this team? Like Kokrak, I think makes a lot of sense, 
but like what who does he who is his foursomes partner who do you pair him up with and for how many sessions, I think right? It's English and Kokrak, too big to fail, man. Like just a couple <laughs> of big units out there. Like, and one of them, you know, English is pretty low key and Kokrak's kind of, you know, he's swagging around. Like that feels like, I think those guys could do some damage together. I think the course would probably be real good for Jason Kokrak. Um, you know, uh, you know, that's a, a, going to be a huge factor here. He hits it a mile and um, he has had a really, really good putting year. That's the thing too, is like, we're going to need some guys that are going to make some putts. <laughs> You know, it, it, I think this thing is going to be a decent-sized putting contest if they if the setup is as easy as I think it's probably going to be. Who would you put Spieth with? JT. Yeah. I think Spieth oh, and JT easy. is easy. For sure. Um, well, then, I, so Morikawa, who would you put him with? That's a great question. Maybe I feel like Xander? I was going to say Xander or Cantley makes a lot of sense. I know those two are a weird – Xander and Cantley are a weird pairing that's been pretty successful but not – not yeah. anything that's like unbreakable, um, but that's where I, I I just have no insight, and maybe they're playing it super close to the chest on how they want to manage all this stuff. But I have no insight into how they're thinking about anything, and my instinct is not to give them benefit of the doubt. I think they're gonna like merge, they're gonna they're gonna come up with this really corporate like let's take all the options and combine like kind of what you do with some of your shot Hell approach. Yeah. Let's consider all these options, merge them into one bad they're option. They're going to create the data lake, and then they're not, <laughs> but they're, they're not going to analyze it. They're exactly. going to have the, the pool of information, but they're not going to make any like sound decision from it. The one thing I do know is Phil Mickelson should not be on this team. Yeah, I'm with you. But then, okay, then we can have a whole other conversation about, I'm, I'm kind of love Randy's block of like, it's an exhibition. And in that case, give me Reed, give me Kokrak, give me Phil, give me Horschel, right? Like the biggest personalities that are like, that are dying to be there because that's a factor like guys that yeah. really, really want to be on the team and are fiery. I think too many of those guys is, is bad, but it's great for us as viewers. Yeah. I, I want, I still want to win this thing. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I view it as a, you know, I, I it's not, it, it, you could have to structure the whole thing very differently if it was truly just an exhibition. Right. Can I, can I make a shameless plug before we wrap up the Ryder cup stuff? Sure. I've been working on some Ryder cup, uh, merch logos. Hyped. Hyped? Hyped. That's all I'm going to say to the people. To clarify, it's not specific to the Ryder Cup. No, those it's not. Two words. No, it's not. It's 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 a U.S. versus European. No, no. Oh. It, trademark, no, there won't be any issues with okay. any of that. But we got about a month before things heat up, we, we should have some limited edition stuff in the in the pro shop, which I'm just top of mind because I've been working out this week. Uh, one more uh, segment I want to bring up here, and i uh, got a couple other things to mention before we throw it over to Jose Maria Fabel. This segment, of course, brought to you by our friends at Callaway. A quick look uh, at what's in the bag segment. It's been a while since I've gone. I think the last time I went, I talked about a club that I'm actually taking out of the bag. Take Talking about the... Driving iron's coming out. Really? I have made the change. Uh, I have decided to switch to... I'm introducing myself to five wood life. I have never carried a five wood in my life. Uh... No why, joke. Why? <laughs> Watching Morikawa hit his five wood was very much like, oh, I think I get it now. So I, my thinking when I put the two iron in was like, all right, I need something I can hit low bullet, running bullets, kind of keep it, you know, keep it between the mayo and mustard and just like a very accurate shot. And I've lost my accuracy with that club for whatever reason. I've not hit it. You know, it's it's a me problem. It's not the club's fault, but it's not doing what I need it to do because especially, and it's also supposed to bridge that gap between four iron and three wood. 
and I can't hold greens with it. It's too low. I carry it really far. It goes far, but I go long with this club way too often. So I want a club that's going to go higher up in the air and has a chance to hold greens from that like 230 number because I'm struggling greatly with that number. Sure. I have it a lot on par fives, and I'm, I probably hit the green from that number like 2% of the time. And it's time for me to try something new. So I've got, I hit a little fade now. If I can hit high fade five woods, uh, I you know I'm sure a lot of people are screaming at the, at their speakers right now saying try a hybrid, try a hybrid. That's probably next up for me to try after this. But it's a I, journey. <laughs> I just looked at did TrackMan data with it today, and like my four iron was going two twelve. My five wood was going 230 and my three wood was 255. Like it was That's perfectly great. right in between those numbers. And I hope it hold, holds greens and I hope I can use it off tees just to hit little accurate little bunts out there as well. And we'll see. But I'm excited to try five wood. Life. I almost had the same splits, but with a, uh, you were using an 18 degree. I was. And I tried that out for the utility iron and that was too much. It very much, I can see it being like, depending on the conditions and what, like yeah. if we took that, if we were going to Scotland right now or Bannon, I would put the two iron in. Yeah. Like I want to see that thing. But run. the 21 degree, you would think that it's very similar to a four iron. I hit the four iron about 212 on the track man a couple days ago. And I hit the driving iron, the 21 degree, like 230. Hmm. And then, the, you know, three woods up 250, 260. So it's, it's, I don't have as quite as good a split, but I really like the utility that I get. Like I hit a ton of punch shot. I just feel like I hit that club so flush mm-hmm. every time. Well, it was uh, also watching the LPGA players hit fairway woods and hold greens. Yeah. was very much like a, dude, I never do that. Yeah. I just don't hit it high enough like with a three wood to hold greens and the two iron just was too low. So have you hit the five wood on the range yet? I hit it on the range and I've played one round of golf with it. And so are you far. hitting it high? Hit it higher, way higher. Okay. I don't know how well it's going to hold greens. I haven't really had that number yet, but I'm I'm excited about five wood life, and we're gonna put it to the test at Taurus Sauce here. Well, so. I had a I used to play the Epic Rogue, Flash, of course, is what I've got. The old Rogue five wood that was my favorite club for a year or two, just always hit it solid. I needed to see the numbers like I always felt like a yeah. five wood would go too close to the three wood distance, and it does not. It yeah. my ball speed is way different, and the launch angle is different, and all that stuff. And how about? This, may sound obvious, like, but you know Scott Stallings and DJ, those guys are all playing seven wood. That's what I'm saying. I almost went. I almost went for the seven wood, like to accomplish what I'm looking for out of this. And I may explore the six wood. Might be. Might be the keep option your options too. open. So, there you go. Stephen Dodd won the Senior British Open at Sunningdale. That was. I got to watch a little bit of that. Just incredible, incredible golf course. Best style of golf in the world. I cannot wait until we uh, someday get over there and document all that those golf courses on video. But. Um, just from what I got to see out of Sunningdale old, that was just tremendous. And I hope, hope to see that golf course in, in circulation and a lot more, uh, future opens of many different varieties. And then lastly, on a, on a pretty serious note, I'd say Grayson Murray, uh, sent a, a, a tweet out on Friday or Saturday. I forget what it was. A screenshot of a, a lengthy notes message detailing his difficult experiences he've, he's had on the PGA tour to date and, uh, citing alcoholism being a, I don't want to, I don't know if it's a cause or effect, uh, probably intertwined in some way of uh, the struggles he's had out there and, and made some, you know, implications that he's reached out to the tour for help. And they've basically offered him nothing more than um, we'll get back to you, which, you know, Phil Mickelson has chimed in to say anything he's brought up with them. He said uh, the tours said the same thing to them of we'll get back to you and never really circled back. And uh, it, it made some wavelengths. It's circulated pretty heavily uh, around, you know, golf Twitter and whatnot. And can't help it. Of course, anytime that there's any uh, issue like this that pops up, first place I go to read is Eamon Lynch at Golf Week. And he 
he crushed it with another tremendous article um, detailing the very complicated feelings that I think a lot of people have with Grayson Murray. He's, uh, as, as Eamon said right off the bat, he's uh, extremely ignorant as it comes to a lot of social issues. And But two things can be true. That can be a fact, and he could also be uh, having a major, major issue that he needs some help with. And for everything that has to be black and white on social media, this is a pretty big lightning rod, I would I would say. Sure. I don't really know where to go with that. It's it's a tough, tough thing to read, tough thing to react to. And I've, you know, got personal issues, I think, with Grayson to begin with. And it's hard to say, like, all right, well, maybe this helps explain some of that. I don't want to give him too much of a pass for some of his behavior. But, like, at the same time, there there seems to be nothing really in place as far as he knows or we know that is set up for the tour to help players with issues like this. Which to me is the story, especially because it's a player run organization. So how is that like that? That's what to me is like what, like the big disconnect when he reaches out to the tour, I'm wondering who, who yeah. is it that says, I like, we'll get back to you. You know, it does he, as he reached out to the player advisory group, like where does he go with that? And, how could the tour get better at directing him to, you know, the right thing? But yeah, they should get better at it. They should take care of their members with support. I, I look at, you know, like the NFL's gotten ripped apart for, let's say, player relations, all kinds of stuff. But one thing they do provide, and they, I think the last five or ten years they've done a much better job of, is just like, what are you going to do after you play? Like there are classes, yeah. like talking to guys that used to play in the NFL that I played with in college. It's like they are available if you go. They're not going to do it for you, but they're there, like career – progression stuff, like how to, you know, what would you do if you didn't play football, financial planning, all that stuff. doesn't seem like the PGA Tour has any of that, let alone stuff for substance abuse or like, you know, very serious personal issues. So that's got to change. In the Tour's defense on this, when Chris Kirk, who was on our podcast last year, talked about his details he had with alcoholism and how he reached out to the Tour saying he needed to step away and he didn't know if he'd be covered under major medical. And it sounded like the tour did all they could to support Chris in that and said, you, he basically did get a major medical for the alcohol issues he was having. Right. So it's, it's not like the tour, I guess the other example that that we have that we know of, of this is that that runway was provided to one of its players. Yeah. So it's not like the tour doesn't take alcoholism seriously. You know, it's not like there's a a precedent to, to what we know. Right. So, that's out there, but also Eamon just brings up an interesting topic. And I thought the more I thought about this, the more I the more I think it's how I don't know how long the tour can go with its policy being that all disciplinary matters are private. When we are in this gambling era, getting more and more serious, leaning more and more into it, one people need to have an understanding of like so the, there's an alcohol related incident that Murray had that he's been on probation from for the tour, right? And, and Eamon floats this out there of like, if that was publicly known information, which is not, then maybe more people would be aware of the issues that he's, the alcohol related issues he's having and would have been available to help him, right? Yeah. But because it's behind closed doors, that's almost like kind of sh- pushing that off into the corner. And I don't know what that lack of transparency does other than like, give up this perfectly I know as I go to say it it's it's creating this image that PGA Tour players are these corporate monsters you know there's icons that are infallible and that it's it's whitewashing it really and I know it's the gambling thing is very separate there but also just like 
how is this sport going to survive without like giving you a lot of giving people a lot of information about its players? That's a good point. The, the Chris Kirk thing, though, to go back to that for a second, it seems like he had a support system family. He established that he had a problem. He made a plan. He went to the tour and said, this is what I'm going to do. They yeah. supported that, which is good. But it's tough because it doesn't seem like it always works out that way with substance abuse, where nobody knows what to do, where to go, won't admit that they have a problem. You know, I mean, the fact that Grayson Murray is like, speaking up and saying he, he feels like he has a problem, that's a step in the right direction. It's just he's doing it in a way that's kind of like confrontational with the tour instead. I mean, it's tough, man. It's like, tough. Yeah, like because uh, you want to say like, well, let's let's got let's put that energy into like getting you some help, right? And he he does say no. The PGA Tour didn't force me to drink, but the PGA Tour never gave me help, right? So he's conscious of like, yeah, this isn't your fault, but yeah. like, hey, why isn't I don't know? It, it's it's it is very complicated. It I, I think it uh, addressing the first thing here would be like getting this guy some help, sure. right? And it's putting aside any other issues that you know people may have had with him in the past that you know maybe again maybe brought on himself but maybe influenced heavily by a, a disease that he's fighting right that is extremely difficult and very real and something that you know no one should have to go through and need, people need help to get through so i don't know it, it, it's not something that i look directly at and just like want to scream at the tour on just because i don't have all the information right and that's why I, that's what i do want to scream on though is like you know this like thing is this cloud of secrecy that's existed for so long it's it i really don't know how you keep but it going not even that like let's take a look at you know matthew wolf for instance like right. we need like it's also when these guys are young and they're alone and they're traveling the country and they're not playing good is a recipe for like problems yes. like mental issues that they're going to try to cope with one way or the other and that's what i was pointing out with the nfl it's like it seems like they've kind of picked it up that like okay when these guys get in the league we need to at least offer something for like we need to help them when they just are now making a ton of money and they don't know what to do with it or if they get hurt and they can't play anymore you know etc cetera, etc cetera. The PGA Tour should be thinking about that with, especially yeah. with the young guys, right? And, and I think that's a, a foundation for then those guys can help the guys below them. But it doesn't feel like there's any infrastructure for that with the PGA Tour. And it kind of feels like one of the things that's kind of like the more, you know, Matthew Wolf talk, talks about mental health. Bubba talked about mental health. LPGA players. It kind of feels like the thing that's like, do we think we've uncovered all of the people out in golf that are having mental or physical issues? Like no. not even close, right? There has to be more, right? And then people are going to feel more comfortable talking about it, raising awareness in hopes that they can help other people. You know, they might be going through the same thing. And I'm sure I, Chris Kirk said he you had know, many people reach out to him, you know, people that have gone through similar things. I know Tom Watson and, and David Faraday had an amazing moment on the Faraday show talking about, you know, their issues with alcohol and how they were there for each other at, at certain times in their lives. And it is a very, a, a product of this individual sport that you may have these big teams around you and be very, you know, but it, it can feel and be, and very realistically be very lonely out there. And so I don't know. Interesting is not the right word. It's sad. I hope it, hope it no, uh, I, gets addressed. I, I honestly wish Grace and Murray the best. Yeah. And I would love to hear the PGA tour respond at some point in a, you know, in a statement, a press conference, like would love to hear them announce something. Later, you know, like, yeah, give him six months, give him a year. Like, that's not something you do overnight, but like, hey, we're gonna put some, put some thought into this. Yeah. Because again, it's a player run organization. Like, that's, that's literally what they should be doing is yeah. like, that's their stakeholder right there. 
Like, and sometimes, unfortunately for us as fans, right? Like, it's like, no, they're they're there to make the players money and make them happy. Like, that's the that's the role. So, anyway, yeah, not the not the most fun note to to leave on as to, we just throw it to Jose Maria Othello. <laughs> Jose Maria, take it away, Jose. He's gonna tell us about golf in Greece, and it sounds incredible. And uh, yeah, we're gonna be on the road the next couple of weeks. Uh, we got a couple of pre-recorded podcasts that'll be out on the Tuesday nights, but uh, good ones, uh, real good, good ones. ones. Uh, yeah, I'm not spoiled. Next, this this coming week with Mark Brody is excellent, and uh, Brody's a menace. He is a total menace. And then next week, I'm I'm really excited about that one too. So, thank you everyone uh, for tuning in. We will have an Olympics recap next week, uh, recapping what we are able to watch while on the road. Are we announcing where we're going? It's not much of a secret. It's, I think I, I, think I, people I put know. it in the the newsletter, uh, email newsletter. We're going somewhere up up north. It's very pure. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'll say. <laughs> so itinerary guys, send us all of your suggestions because we're, yeah, we're definitely just winging it and don't have uh, a bunch of tea times and, and, and playing <laughs> plan it out. Nothing so. to do. <laughs> Neil, thank you for a lovely, uh, lovely chat here in the Kill House. Thanks everyone for tuning in and uh, enjoy Jose Maria Altabla. Cheers. I want to clarify one thing straight out of the gate and I can't believe we're this far into your career and then I don't know the answer to this, but I have always said Olathabal, but more and more lately, I keep hearing Olazabal. I, I talked to Paul Broadhurst a couple weeks ago. He said Olazabal. Is this a Spanish thing that's hard to translate? Why do I hear two different pronunciations for your name? No, no, there's only one. And, and the, the right one is when you emphasize on, on the tha, which is a TH for you. Yeah. Uh, it, it should be Olathabal. Olathabal. Okay, I think we can get there. Where did what is it? Is it weird when people say Olazabal then? Well, I mean, no, it's not weird. I mean, I get used to it. I mean, I had uh, instances where you know the starters uh, on the festi don't don't get my name uh, pronounced correctly. Actually, in some actually in some cases, I mean, they said, "Well, you know who he is," because they cannot pronounce the the surname. So it, it's okay. No worries. <laughs> Well, I, I want to get into some of your background, and, and there's a lot of things I want to ask you about. But first, I want to ask you about what you've currently got going on, Navarino Hills. I went down a, a bit of a, a rabbit hole looking at the mock-ups for your new golf course. And one, it made me really miss travel, and it made me want to go to Greece. So I'm wondering if you could uh, tell us about what you've got going on there. Well, I mean, I'm really pretty proud and happy about uh, the outcome of of the whole 36 holes. I think the, the place is wonderful. Uh, you know, all the visits that that I, I paid to the place uh, have been fantastic. Uh, the food is great. The people is wonderful. They are very warm. Um, and the golf course, uh, the scenery is unique. I mean, you do have uh, wonderful scenery uh, from both golf courses. Uh, it's going to be quite demanding in the sense that uh, we are close to the sea. Well, not extremely close to the sea, but we are elevated like uh, 400 meters, which is close to... 700 feet roughly, but uh, the breeze can play a, a big role. Uh, it can be windy at, at times, but uh, I think the golf course is, is generous, uh, has large greens, uh, even though you need to be you know, in the right place of, of the flag uh, to have a comfortable pad. But uh, I think people that go there and, and play golf are going to have a, a great time. Well, I'm always curious with accomplished professionals, you know, where you draw your architectural inspiration from. You've seen, I, I would venture to say, almost all of the golf, great golf courses in the world at this point in your career. You know, you, you, a million different ideas you could have and how do you take it? But what, how would you describe your architectural philosophy? You take things as, as you go along, as you evolve, 
as a person, as a player, uh, the more you play, the more golf courses you play, you try to, to take things from, from different uh, designers, from different golf courses, uh, things that you like, things that, things that you don't like, uh, and, and you try to use all those elements, the natural elements that uh, uh, the, the land provides. Uh, obviously, that's, that's the first step. But then, uh, you know, uh, it, it depends on, on what uh, your philosophy of the game is. But at the end of the day, the more you play, uh, you see more, as I said, you see more different things and runoffs. And, I mean, by instance, when when I grew up here in Spain, we, we, we didn't have any runoffs uh, around the greens. And all of a sudden, as, as you play along... Uh, as a professional around the world, you realize that, uh, you know, those are great elements, the, the shape of the bunkers, uh, uh, the firmness of the greens, the slopes, uh, you know, by instance, I try, I try to avoid as, as much as possible blind shots. Uh, and and you, you realize that at the end of the day, you, when you design a golf course, you, you have to make it as, as complete as possible, where you have to hit all kinds of shots, try to use, as many clubs as possible in the bag and, and to to force the player to to think and to shape the ball in, in different ways. Uh, I think that's, that's pretty much my philosophy uh, when designing a golf course. Hmm. You mentioned there growing up in Spain and playing golf in Spain. I, I, I was uh, found the story of how you got into golf fascinating. I really enjoy reading about it. Do you mind telling us, a, uh, I don't know how, where that story starts for you, but telling us about how you got into the game? To be honest... Uh, my my parents had a farm. Actually, didn't didn't have it, but they worked the land. A group of people came uh, looking for a piece of land to design a golf course, uh, and that's what happened. I was born. Actually, my mom put the flag uh, on the front nine, and I was born the following day. Somehow, obviously, the house was right in the middle of the golf course. Uh, I, I had my house surrounded by the first tee. The ninth green, the putting green, and the tenth tee. So all I had to do was walk out of uh, my house door, and you know I was surrounded by golf holes. Uh, in those days, I have to say that uh, not many people played. Obviously, uh, the rich people uh, were the ones that played the game of golf. Uh, and uh, from Monday to Friday, virtually there was nobody on the golf course. So I had pretty much the whole golf course for me. And that's how I started. My my grandfather and my father uh, worked as greenkeepers, and somebody gave my father a putter, and uh, that's how I started uh, playing golf. I was just on my own. I didn't have any other kids uh, uh, living in the area, so it was an ideal scenario for me to spend time. I love that story. That's a fantastic story. And your your amateur career was remarkable. I mean, we're, we're skipping past a lot there, but you win the British boys, the British youth, and the British am. But from what I've read, it sounds like turning professional was not necessarily a, an easy decision for you. Why was that? And and I, I'm guessing part of that answer is just the landscape of professional golf probably looked a lot different uh, than it does now. But what, how, did you really struggle with the decision to turn professional? And what was that like? I didn't struggle with the decision. I had pretty much clear in my mind that I wanted to try to, to play as a professional. But obviously, as you said, in those days, playing professional golf was not as attractive, let's put it that way, as attractive as it is now. Uh, you know, the prize money was uh, obviously very small. Uh, the, you didn't have any help from 
from golf companies, uh, contracts were very difficult to find, the sponsors, things like that. So my mom was a little reluctant for me to, to turn professional. Um, and she said, well, first of all, you have to finish your studies. And once you do that, at least you can, you can try it. And, and that's what I did. But as you said, in those days, turning professional was more of an adventure uh, than, than a career. It was not easy. Earning a, a living playing golf in those days. Well, we did. We just did a uh, a deep dive podcast on the 1991 Ryder Cup because I think for a lot of my generation, we didn't. Uh, I'm 34 years old. We didn't watch that live, and you know that was a, a Ryder Cup that seemed to really change the Ryder Cup forever. And, and we did a just a two hour special on it, interviewing a lot of people for it. And I didn't get a chance to interview view you for it, but I'm going to do that now. But your name and Seve's name are all over that Ryder Cup, and I and I've got a lot to ask you about it. But what was what was your reaction? When you when you saw Kiowa for the first time, when we first arrived there at Kiowa, uh, it was we were a little bit uh, uh, in shock. Hmm. I have to say because the golf course uh, was barely opened. There was no cl- proper clubhouse. There was no proper uh, locker rooms. I remember we had uh, uh, like a trailer, uh, something like that, where, where we. Uh, uh, the, which was our uh, locker room for the European team. And then for the spectators, by instance, there was no area where they could walk. It was, you had like fairways, just a bit of rough, maybe, I don't know, two, three, four yards of rough, and the rest was sand. There, there was nothing else. I mean, I believe that during that week, I mean, all the spectators had a, a a hard time walking the golf course following uh, the matches. Uh, and uh, well, we were pretty much in, in, in shock because by then the Ryder Cup was obviously was starting to be, you know, a very special event. We were surprised that the facilities uh, were uh, not maybe up to the level. Well, we, uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of, there's some showdowns that happen in that Ryder Cup and we, we profiled it. We tried as best we could to tell the story from both sides between yourself, between Seve, Paul Azinger, Chip Beck and things like that. But, you know, it's funny. I heard so much from Europeans like Seve wasn't the bad guy. It was Azinger. So I want to, I want to go, have you go back to 91 and I want you to give me your true thoughts as you're playing in, in the you know the height of your competitive career, your true thoughts on playing Paul Azinger in the Ryder Cup. How badly did you want to beat that guy? Well, we wanted to beat each other uh, badly. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. that. That's what the Ryder Cup is all about. Uh, Paul Azinger was a very tough competitor. So was Seve. Uh, we wanted to beat the U.S. team, especially that pairing. But uh, what happened uh, that... Uh, that much, I mean, you know, it's history. But we realize, you know, halfway down down the the match, I think it was seventh, the seventh hole. I realized that um, I, I don't know if they were switching it voluntarily or intendedly, but I realized that they were switching the ball, uh, and uh, I I made it clear to Seve, and and then. Uh, obviously, Sevi was a little concerned. He, I remember him telling me, "Well, what you're saying is very serious. You have to be sure of of that." So we we had to wait a couple more holes, 
to check that uh, they were using uh, the wrong ball. And uh, we we made it official on the 9th. And that's why uh, things uh, happened the way they did. Uh, on the 10th, uh, referees were there, captains were there, we were there. We had uh, whatever it was, I don't know, 10-minute conversation. And at the end of the day, uh, because it's match play, um, it can only affect uh, what happened on the last hole. So uh, nothing happened. They they used the right ball on on, on number nine, and uh, well, the rest is the rest is history. I mean, we well somehow Seri and I we were even more determined uh, to to give our best, uh, and I have to say that we played extremely well on that back nine and managed to turn things around and win that match. But uh, well, it was it was down to that. To be honest, I mean, as I said, I mean, I'm I'm convinced. I know that they they were playing the wrong ball, uh, and and that's it. As simple as that. Hmm. But it seemed like that that spilled over, and, it, and the documentation I read about it was that you and you and uh, Paul ended up facing each other in the singles match, as well as you know that afternoon you guys played each other. But it was said that you guys didn't speak a word to each other during your your back and forth singles match on that Sunday. Is that true? Well, yeah, most probably, yes. We didn't speak much, uh, obviously, of, of what happened uh, in the morning. Uh, it's natural also. I mean, sure. we, we just try to uh, to give your best, and you don't want to have any distractions of any kind. And in that regard, uh, well, we just focus on, on the job in hand and trying to concentrate on, on our shots, and, and that was it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I know Sevi was a great, great friend of yours, and I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you may have been asked this before, but it's a, looking at it from a different angle. If Sevi was your opponent in a big team event, what would, what would your what would you have thought of Sevi? <laughs> well, I would knew that I would have my hands full <laughs> trying to beat uh, Sevi. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, you know, before UTOV, you know that he was going to give all his best. He was going to be tough to beat regardless of how good he would strike the, the ball. I mean, uh, he could hit it all over the park. And you knew at the end of the day, he was going to make part or birdie from uh, whatever parts of the golf course. And in that regard, you needed to be mentally prepared for that, knowing that you didn't have much room to maneuver. When facing a player like Seve, you, you knew you were facing the biggest uh, opponent you could face on match play or, or stroke play on the golf course. And you're about as qualified to speak on this as anyone because, you know, for, for someone of my generation that didn't get to experience watching Seve play or didn't get to know him at all, what what is it about him that makes people that knew him speak with such reverence? And it, it seems it sticks out to me as... So many Australians, European players, even American players will just, you know, I always ask people who their role model was. You know, I hear Seve, 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 Seve from people all over the world. You know, he was a great friend of yours, as we talked about. But why, why would you say that is? What is it about him that, you know, for a younger generation that didn't get to experience that? How would you describe that? He was the way he played the game. I mean, he was he was fearless on, on the golf course. He, and he, he created shots... Uh, uh, he he was able to see shots. He was able to execute shots that the rest of us wouldn't even dream of. Uh, he could see shots from the middle of the trees. He could see spaces where no one else would see. He could try to hit balls 
shots that had to go within a square foot between branches and leaves and, and then, you know, try to turn the ball 30 yards or left or right and, and still, uh, you know, execute the shots. Uh, he, he, he would never give up. He would always give his best, uh, regardless, again, regardless of how well he would hit the shots or, or, or strike the ball. Uh, at the end of the day, people knew that sooner or later, in a regular 18-hole round, they were going to witness, you know, three, four shots or five or even more uh, that would be worth uh, to be there to see. You know, I see, I see people that, you know, uh, go and follow Seve and said, well, it was worth to go and follow you 18 holes just to see those two shots that you hit from the trees or that chip or that bunker shot or whatever. He had such uh, uh, skills, such a touch around the greens. And his character, uh, you know, he was he was very likable. He didn't hide any emotions on the golf course. And I think that, that made him uh, uh, really attractive to to people, to crowds, to to fans. Hmm. No, that may, that all makes a lot of sense. And and back back on the Ryder Cup note, I'm asking you to pull here on all of your experience as both a player and a captain. You've seen a lot of European success in your Ryder Cup career, dating back to the '80s. And I, I'm sure you want that to continue. So I don't know if you're going to give me uh, all the all the secrets here. But I really had a great time talking with Paul McGinley about the intricacies of his captaincy and the you know the special trips he made to meet with Victor Dubuisson to talk about his pairings and all this stuff and I, it just that that those specifics really illustrated to me how the differences in how the Europeans approach the Ryder Cup versus how the Americans have been and there have certainly been years where the European team is the more talented side but overall I'd say for 30 years the talent level is very close and something is tipping the scales to Europe having more success in the Ryder Cup in your in your best estimation or uh, in your experience what would you say it is that tips the scales towards Europe having so much success in recent decades well, it would be very difficult to me to pinpoint the reason for it but uh, as you said I mean there is not such a difference between uh, the level of, of the game played by both teams. I want to believe, or I believe that for us Europeans, the Ryder Cup means more to us than it does to the U.S. team. And that's my, my view on it. Uh, because of the history of the Ryder Cup, at least a generation of players, like in the 80s and 90s, uh, it was our only way to prove the U.S. that uh, we were worthy of, of competing against them. It's true that nowadays things have changed. All the players now that play at the Ryder Cup, uh, Europeans and Americans are very familiar with each other. They compete in the States. They compete in Europe. Uh, they know each other really well. Some of them are actually good friends. Why the Ryder Cup is, is in our favor uh, of late, I really don't have the answer. But I think, I, I believe that it means a little bit more to us than it does to the U.S. Yeah, I remember Hunter Mahan talking about 2014 Ryder Cup and how it just seemed like the European team was also having more fun. It might have been because they were winning, but it seemed like a fun atmosphere, you know, a fun promotional atmosphere instead of a fear of messing up. You know what I mean? And that seems to be that has always permeated for me through Ryder Cups and how much fun Europe is having and how. It almost feels like the Americans are trying not to screw up. Does that does that make sense at all? Well, 
I wouldn't put it that way. What is true is that for us, the Ryder Cup is a team event. Uh, we we have the experience of mingling together more often on the European Tour. Um, we try to spend time together when we are on the on golf tournament. While I think in the U.S. Most of the players do a more of an individual life outside the golf course. And uh, here in Europe, we try to go to the same hotels, but at the same time, we go together to a bar to have a beer, and we, and we joke at each other, and we have dinner together, regardless of being uh, from the same country or not. Uh, and we play jokes on each other. And I think that that be, that's the, the atmosphere, the that we have usually uh, at the Ryder Cup uh, camp. We try to have fun while uh, we are uh, competing against the best. Well, on more recent note, how much of a, of a thrill was it for you to make the cut at the Masters this year? And w- was that anything that you, uh, that you could have predicted? No, I didn't predict it because I, I had missed the cut uh, seven years in a row. So I was thrilled. I have to say that I was extremely happy to play uh, four days at Augusta, and well, I was I was really really happy to be honest. It's true that this time the golf course was playing hard and fast, more to the way uh, we used to play in the 90s and early 2000s. So uh, I think that helped me a little bit uh, because I didn't have well, I still had long clubs onto the green, but uh, at least I, I could reach the par fours in two. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I was I was thrilled that I could play four days. Yeah, it was it was a great achievement. It looked like you were having a lot of fun out there with that one. But uh, one other thing, I, I probably should have worked this in. We were talking earlier about your earlier career, but I read something about you where you where you talked about seeing your swing on video for the first time and how it maybe looked different than you thought it looked. <laughs> I'm wondering if you could tell us kind of what in this era where uh, you know video is so prevalent and you can get immediate feedback on any swing you ever make, what was it like when video came into golf? And what was uh, how did you react when you saw your swing for the first time? I've seen you. You've done your homework really well. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, uh, it's true. I mean, uh, I played uh, my first year on tour was uh, on the European tour was '86. I played the uh, in '87. I played the the World Match Play uh, at One World. You know, it was the the first time that I saw my swing on film. Well, I was I have to say I was really disappointed. It, being hundred percent honest, I was really disappointed. I had I thought obviously I to look at other swings uh, in those days. Uh, Wusnam, Sevi, uh, Langer, and so on. Uh, and, and you're thinking, okay, well, it might not be the same, but it, it might be just something similar to that. And that's uh, the idea you have of your swing. Uh, when I saw it the first time around, I was really disappointed. So uh, uh, nowadays, I mean, it's, it's a different story. Well, obviously... It's been there for quite a few years now, but as you said, nowadays you have instant information. You have uh, you can tape your swing from all different angles. You can have a slow motion. You can have so much information with TrackMan devices or Fioscope or, or things like that. So uh, now, what happens nowadays is that every player is more knowledgeable of uh, the technique of the swing, uh, what is right, what is wrong, that brings 
uh, or makes the new generations better prepared uh, by the time they get to the PGA Tour. And that's why we see so many good players at an early age. And at the same time, the differences between top players and not so top players being very, very small. Now, nowadays, when you look at the leader after two rounds and the cut, sometimes it's, you know, six, seven shots only. And, you know, you make the cut and you can still win the event at the weekend just by just making the cut. And the differences are very, very slim nowadays. I mean, uh, they are so well prepared because of all the information and the knowledge we do have today uh, about the swing, the technique, that, that is amazing. Yeah, I just found it especially interesting that you know you're talking about all the all the knowledge that you get from it, but it, the knowledge actually hurt you a little bit, and that you didn't like your swing, and it made you want to want to change some things. I found that uh, somewhat ironic. No, no, I mean it's true that sometimes it might hurt you. You have to look at this uh, sport as as a long road. Sure, I mean you have to look to the future, not so much you know to today. And I think if Making those changes, obviously, it can cost you, but at the same time, if you do it properly and, and you take the right path, it's going to make you a better player in the long run, and I think that, that's the key. Well, I know we got to let you go here soon, and I, I asked you about 91 Ryder Cup, which was, you know, of course, a U.S. victory, so of course I've got to even the scales and ask you a little bit more about 2012 specifically, but... So in 2012 on that Saturday, the score was 10 to four. Europe wins the last two matches on Saturday to make it 10-6 going into the night, which is the tie. You know, the only one team ever has come back from 10 to six. That was the 99 U.S. team at Brookline. Was it easy to get the team to believe going into Saturday night? Did the fact that you won the last two matches, you know, and knowing that someone had done it before, was it relatively easy to get the team to believe that they could pull it off the next day? Well, I have to be totally honest, and, and uh, what happened that afternoon, uh, it was crucial. Uh, but not just what happened, but the way it happened. Uh, you know, the run of birdies that uh, Polter uh, had to do to, to win the, the, the point, the way he celebrated, uh, turning, his, turning uh, and looking around the, the team. And, and I think that transpires in such a way that when we had that meeting on, on Saturday night, when when I looked at um, the players in their eyes, you could see the spark of self-belief, determination, uh, that it was doable, that things had changed for us, and that uh, we could actually turn things around on Sunday. It was not all that difficult. I could sense, and I think the whole team had that feeling, that, that things had changed, they believed that it was doable. And yeah, as long as the odds were overnight, I think yeah, they were they were still really long with only a few holes to play in so many of the matches. If I remember right, something along the lines of in five of the key matches, the Europeans won the 17th and 18th holes like nine out of 10 times or something like that. It's it's really a, it's a painful thing as an American fan to relive, that's for sure. <laughs> well, it is, but uh, it is true. I mean, we somehow we managed to to win those uh, crucial holes at, at the end of the round. Uh, but it was, it was in a way that it was very, also very hard to, to imagine or believe. Uh, you know, when you look uh, like a match, uh, the match like Phil uh, 
against Justin. When you see that chip on 17, I mean, Phil made that chip and it looked like he was in all the way. And at the very last minute, the, the ball just drifted away from the hole. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, Justin Rose makes a huge long putt, uh, you know, to win the hole and then Verdi's 18 to win 18. So, I mean, it's very hard to to find a reason why everything went our way on that Sunday, but but that's what happened. All right, well, we'll let you go here. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, and we look forward to, uh, I, I, you're, again, like I said, you're making me want to travel to Greece, so I look forward to seeing uh, your new 36 holes out there. And uh, thanks so much for spending the time and hope we get to do it again sometime. Okay, perfect, Chris. And as I said, uh, if you ever have a chance to go to Greece, I think it's going to be worth it. I would have to agree with you. So, all right. Cheers. Thanks so much, Jose Maria. Okay. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.